welcome to the Safety Doc Podcast with your charismatic host and prominent safety expert, Dr. David Perotin. Be entertained and informed as the Safety Doc discusses both best and bizarre practices in safety preparation and crisis response. The truth will keep you safe. Follow Dr. Perotin on Twitter at SafetyPhD. All right, welcome to the Safety Doc Podcast. I have a special guest with me today, Preston Rice. Preston is going to be talking about drones. First thing I think about when I hear the word drone is something military, something that's flying in the sky, surveillance, you need to be aware of. And that's a common misperception that uh, Preston's going to help us work through today. So, Preston, welcome to the show. Well, thank you for having me. And glad to be here. Can you tell us, uh, you have a company. Tell us about your company. Yes, I do. Um, about two years ago, I started working on developing my own business. Okay. And the I, prerequisites that I wanted for this business was that I wanted to do something fun that could also make me money. And there's only so many things I could think of that met that criteria. And about the same time this was coming out, drones were becoming really popular. And it was like a calling card to me. I knew that I had to do that. And so I, I initially had bought myself the equipment and uh, developed my business, which is Madison Area Drone Service. And I left the name sort of vague because I wasn't sure which direction that would take me in. Right. And my in initial um, plan was to basically provide an aerial media service. So photography and video and everything else that goes along with that. And that slowly developed into me doing not only that, but repairing drones as well and also providing training courses and taking care of the media productions as well. And that's really what developed my business into what it is as we sit here today. And you are one of two commercial drone pilots in our county, is that accurate? Well, I know I'm one. I'm not certain how many other ones are in this area. I know we do have a few okay. um, throughout our, our general area, but. Um, they're still pretty uh, uh, sparse at this point in time. There's a lot of opportunity out there, and I'm just a, one in a, in a big sea of people that really need these services. So we have behind us, now this show is on YouTube, it's also on SoundCloud and, and different audio formats, Apple Podcasts, and so forth. Um, behind us we have a few drones, so ju they're just in the background, and we'll, we'll kind of talk about them once the, the show progresses. So, but if you're looking, you're like, what's happening, Dave, in the background here? It's like, you know, we have a few drones in the in the back, and one is actually very small, um, which is a little bigger than the size of my hand. Just so if you're if you're listening right now, you're thinking drone, you're probably thinking, you know, something that's maybe three, four feet across that you put out on a driveway and, and you fly it up from there and and you're not thinking about something that could be the size of a hand. And actually, I think you told me there's something even smaller. Absolutely. There are, there are flying aircraft that are much smaller than that. I don't really consider them to be a drone so much as a multi-rotor type of aircraft. But there are, are very small things using a very similar technology, which are, are literally just a little bigger than a quarter. And, and oh, my. they're only getting smaller. <laughs> wow. My, my cats love them. <laughs> <laughs> Try to swap that thing down. That's right. So that gets into a great question. So what is, what's a drone? What's a yeah, so definition well, of a drone? The, the, the term drone actually bothers some people. <laughs> it, it's yeah. almost a controversial word at this point. Um, but what I have brought with me here today is the actual definition of a drone by the Webster Merriam-Webster Dictionary. And of course we know there are several, several other definitions for a drone, but what we are talking about, this is the literal de definition. It is an unmanned aircraft or ship guided by a remote control or onboard computers. So really what that means is we have some sort of aircraft, in our case, that, that flies and it's, it's intelligent in some way or it's being remotely piloted. And that really covers a, a very broad genre of, of, of basically uh, aircraft that, that meet this criteria. And, uh, you know, for a while the, the word drone was, like I said, to, to, to people like myself who was a professional, um, we almost didn't like that term. It was, it was coined as uh, more of a public term that people were using to, to describe just about anything that was flying. There wasn't any real idea of what that actually right. meant. And technically what I'm flying in what I would cons consider a drone um, can also be called an SUAS, which stands for a small unmanned aircraft system, okay. or a UAV, which is an unmanned aerial vehicle, or somewhere along the lines of, of that, as far as the definitions are concerned. And that is what I would consider to be 
a drone. And really throughout the years, as people began to understand what these things are, I feel like that term has just become natural to us. And even with developing my business, I, I had that thought where I don't know if I really want to call my business <laughs> a drone service. Does that sound right. too right. typical? Yes. But the reality is, is when you talk to people today, they when you say a drone, they know what you're talking about. You know, 10 years ago, we would have thought, oh, the military, I've seen them fly drones before. But we're not thinking about what we think of today as these small, remote-controlled aircraft that have cameras attached to them. And that's really where that word drone comes to, comes from now, and it's being recognized throughout our culture as, um, as being recognizable for that definition. So the rules and regulations that govern uh, what you can do with the drone, uh, I heard on a TV show or a radio show one time that um, someone was upset with a neighbor who was flying a drone over their property, and and called the the police and I don't I, I don't know what happened but it was something like you know, don't fly that drone over my my house anymore and, um, but there's rules and regulations obviously and it's interesting as, as you had shared some information ahead of time with me um, I think there's misperceptions there too of like you know if I went out in my yard and put a sign up and said do not fly a drone over my house that that might or might not have any ability to deter someone in, in in saying that that almost frames it as it's a negative of someone you know with a drone because if someone had a kite it's the same thing like you know don't fly a kite into my property or whatever but um what are some of the rules and regulations that people should know about with drones yes well the first thing we have to keep in mind is that the faa which is the federal aviation administration they essentially govern the airspace here in the United States of America. So no matter where you are, no matter what you're flying, whether it be a manned aircraft or something small or even a kite, you are flying in controlled airspace, whichever that may be. And there's different classifications okay. of airspace. But because the government controls this, this particular airspace, that basically separates us as remote pilots into two separate groups. We either are a hobbyist or a recreational pilot or we are a commercial pilot. And a commercial pilot basically means that we are either charging for our work or we are associating it with the idea of making a profit. And if you are just a hobbyist, then basically you're flying for fun because you want to, whatever it is that you're flying for, that's that's your hobby. Oh, sure. Um, and yes, as far as flying over somebody's property, this was really an interesting thing because there's so many people that have this notion in their head that they... They own their property, and therefore they own the air, or at least some of it. Yeah. And I've heard people say, well, I, I own a cube. If I have, if I have an acre, I, I have one acre of air up in the air. That is my cube that you need to stay out of. All right, yes. But the reality is, is that's false. Out of this cube, yes. The Whether you like it or not, that government owns that airspace right down near grass, and they can control that. And therefore, because they are in control of that, the rights that allow us to fly in it come into play. But now that doesn't necessarily mean that I can sit there and buzz around in your backyard all day and not cause a problem. Right. Because we still have to remember there's a little thing called common sense. Right. And if I'm intentionally invading your privacy or causing a distraction, okay. now we are falling into another uh, issue that comes about it. But this notion of airspace and the rules and regulations that go with it, that it really starts with that. And all of the rules that boil down beyond that level um, have to do with making sure that no matter where we're flying or what we are flying, that we're doing it in a safe manner. And that's why these rules exist, is to make sure that we don't have issues with that. Because even though we're flying what may be considered a toy, it's still flying in an air that at some point or time may be shared by a manned aircraft with people on board and, and very large and heavy aircraft that uh, we certainly wouldn't want to cause an issue with. So how does that happen then, that somebody um, knows the flight patterns because in the community that, that we live in, there's an airport, yep. and it's a smaller airport. And if you're close to the airport and flying a drone, how, how would you be aware that, oh, there's a plane that's going to be landing, so I need to make sure that I'm not flying? Or is there not that awareness, or is it just a common sense of, I'm watching, and there's a plane, my drone needs to be out of this area? How, I guess, how does that work? Right, well, that, that again falls into the, the two groups, because hobbyists, uh, pilots, and commercial pilots are completely different in their understanding of that. Um, when you're talking about a hobbyist pilot, one of the rules that the FAA insists on doing is that if you are within five miles of an airport, five-mile radius, you should call that airport and let them know that you want, you want to fly. And they theoretically should say, yes or no, that's okay, or yeah, but just stay out of our way, or whatever it may be. 
Um, if you are a commercial pilot, though, you don't have to call if you're within five miles of an airport. But the reason we don't have to do that is we've gone through training to understand the airspace that we are flying in specifically. So we are able to look at like an aviation aeronautical chart and we can say, okay, the airport's here and their airspace extends to over here. I know based on my experience with this, this training that I've taken, I know the flight patterns of the aircraft in the area and that I'm okay to operate here. I either can, yes, or I can't, no. And if I can't, no, there's still a chance that I can fly there, but I have to get an authorization or I have to submit a waiver in order to fly there as a commercial pilot. So really, as a hobbyist, you just need to know if you're within five miles of an airport, you probably should be calling an airport and getting authorization to do that. And that's about as simple as it gets for a remote pilot. However, there are other things that come into play, such as a restricted airspace if you're near like a prison or potentially a hospital or a nuclear power plant, something like that. That is a situation maybe where a hobbyist pilot won't know that that's not okay to be flying there. Um, Get down to the ground! Right, and they can't even take their their drone five feet off the ground if they're in a restricted airspace. That, Get down to the ground! Exactly. Restricted means you are not going to fly there. It doesn't matter how much you want to fly there, you will not be flying there. <laughs> so if you break the rules, what, what happens? Well, unfortunately, this is something that, as a commercial pilot, kind of bothers me a, a bit, because right now what the FAA has actually stated is that if rules are being broken, they want you to forward that to your local authority. So what they're saying is we're a large federal organization giving you the rules, but if you don't do it, we can't do anything about it. Okay. It's kind of what they're saying right now. It's unfortunate because I think they really need that control there to make sure that as we move into the future that rules are being followed and that we maintain that level of control. But for right now, that's basically what happens is that if you're, in, you're causing an issue, it's most likely going to be handled with the local authorities. If it does yield a, a massive accident, like let's say you were flying in a large commercial airport and you downed an airplane, in that case, you better believe the FAA is going to be on your back. Right. right. <laughs> I know when we were joking a little bit, I said, uh, you know, the first thing I would probably do by accident is take my drone and fly it right into power lines and, and just because, you know, not practice. But, but actually, I thought about that a little bit and, and want to bring that. If somebody did that, they'd be responsible for, you know, that, that damage that they would bring in, you know, if they actually, or they flew it um, and damaged somebody else's, you know, property, property or something like yeah. that. And um, I, I know a number of the, the drones now have um, detection systems so they, they don't impact with something else. Um. Thank you for tuning in to the Safety Doc Podcast with the nation's leading safety expert, Dr. David Perodin, author, radio show host, university instructor, researcher, expert witness, and consultant. Powerful testimonials. Dr. Perodin has a strong reputation as the go-to safety consultant, and he was still able to exceed our expectations. When we went looking for an expert in the field of crisis preparedness and prevention, David was the single person we pursued. Not easy stepping into the touchier subjects of life, but Dr. David pulls it off. Take a listen. Now, back to Dr. David Perodin and the Safety Doc Podcast. So, let's go back and, and let's say that I have a neighbor who has purchased a drone and tends to fly it over my house like on a very frequent basis and I say, you know, once was okay, twice is okay, but the, the, the fact that I'm outside and, and you're flying it over and over and over, is, is there some regulation that comes into play then or not or how does that work? As far as the FAA is concerned, not really would be probably the best answer as far as I can say, but um, th there are minor things that the FAA will say, such as don't fly over people and don't fly over uh, crowds and, and animals and things like that, but that's such a broad definition, too, that you know, do we consider a house people, or do we consider literally a person as don't, do not fly over that. But right. really, if, if we're bothering them and causing a problem, it's, it's more of a, a smaller level of, of an issue that needs to be handled. In other words, it would be the same as if I'm yelling at you all day from okay. across the street. Where we're causing a disturbance, we are using an aircraft that's operating in an airspace, but that's 
not really the concern so much as we are just causing a local problem, in which case it's handled by the local authorities. So, Wow. Yep. Something fascinating happened. I was, I was vacationing up in uh, Superior, Duluth, and in Duluth they have Canal Park. And Canal Park has um, where a 1,000-foot freighters come into the harbor. They're, they're fascinating from the Great Lakes. And I was watching with my family a freighter come in, and all of a sudden someone said, hey, there's a, there's a drone recording this. And I didn't hear it, didn't see it until you know somebody pointed out. And it was over on the other side. It wasn't right above where the, the ship was coming in. And I looked, and it was, yeah, it was hovered there, and it was recording, which was, I'm assuming, phenomenal to watch the ship come in. Um, and then I didn't think twice about it. You know, I just went on, and and I thought, <clears throat> what a neat thing for somebody to do, like to, to capture that footage and, and to have that hobby available. Um, but then, you know, too, the, the rules that they would have to follow, like you can only get so close to, you know, where the ship is coming in or so close to where this lift bridge is, and, and I'm, I'm sure there's things like that, too, that the Coast Guard have. But um, I just thought that was really neat because it was happening this whole time, and I, I just wasn't even even aware of it. But mm -hmm. So I think what you're saying is is it boils down to use common sense with, with drones, and it, it probably gets into the same things where, you know, if you were to do something that would, you know, like playing your music too loud or, or something like that, your ACDC and rocking your neighbor's siding, you know, that after two times the neighbor's saying, hey, uh, you know, this, this, is, this is bothering me, mm -hmm. um, something like that. Yeah, I mean, it, it can be, you can look at this in comparison as in, say, a person flying an actual manned aircraft, and they, they have the legal right to fly in that airspace, but they choose all day long to take off and circle around this one person's house just to annoy them. Can they do it? Yeah, they can. Well, at least, you know, as far as they're able to within the regulations they follow, but there may be become a local issue that is, you know, arguing, saying, hey, it's kind of annoying, can we find a way to, to get this guy to stop doing that? And, and, and they may have some say in whether or not they can do that. You know, and, and that's really where that gray area comes in because you're trying to fight a local government and what they deem as not being okay versus what a federal administration says either is or okay, okay or not. So there's that sort of cross between section there where these, these rules and regulations and laws kind of all intermingle together. So it, it is a bit mixed up in, in this day and age right now, but... Uh, that's just the way this uh, this drone, uh, you know, whole thing is evolving. It's every day; it's different. Yeah, that's it's amazing because you know, ten years ago, as you mentioned earlier, we would have thought of a drone as probably solely a military, you know, mm -hmm. a vehicle, and now getting into to commercial and then also hobby. So, um, let's say that a park, and, I, and I, I've I've read about this where some parks are are very drone friendly, and even like there's drone parks where they encourage people to come out in mm -hmm. and to fly their drones in the park. And some communities have put up signs by the park saying you cannot fly a drone in the park. Uh, but I think you were saying there's there's different interpretations of that. So you could be five yes. feet outside the park, you know, raise your drone, and then of course that is FAA airspace in the park, and it's not local airspace. So how do things like that kind of work right. out, or your well, when we're, talking, when we're talking about parks, um, the, the biggest thing to understand is what kind of park you are, are flying in, if it's a national park, a state park, or if it's just a small local okay. park. But let's say we're talking about a small local community park like we have around us, and I want to go over there and fly, and I walk in and there's a sign that says, you can't fly your drone here. Okay, well, what that really means is I can't sit on their property and take off and land there and operate my drone there. But the reality is, is they do not control the airspace in that park. So theoretically, I can operate in that airspace. They may be able to tell me, hey, we don't want you here doing this, but they really can't prevent you from flying in and out of it. And that's where that confusion comes in there. But again, now we're going back to common sense. If I am, even if I'm flying in that park, but I'm not physically located, then if I'm causing an issue, there may be a problem with that. But that kind of rolls into what do we do when we're talking about a state park or a national park. And currently, right now, drones are not allowed in national parks, at least without a whole lot of uh, authorizations to get okay. into that point. So, um, and again, the, the national parks are controlled by the government, just like the government controls the federal airspace. And that also kind of boils down to the state parks, where you have a, a state level saying, okay, we don't want you flying here, but we have a federal level 
saying that you can fly in certain areas. So we, we again get into that spot where we have to figure out who really has the right to say that you can or cannot fly there. But it's a good rule of thumb if it's a very large park, specifically a national or a state park. It's a, it's a good chance you should not be flying in there. Um, but it's not to say that you can't, given the right authorizations and so on. I had a friend uh, actually interviewed on the show, and she was with a film crew that went to Haiti, and they needed to get permissions ahead of time to mm -hmm. fly a drone to get some uh, video for a, a documentary they were doing. And th there was a rule that they could only fly as high as, like, the highest mountain peak in Haiti or something like that. But it, that was very interpretive um, because, you know, what was where you were, how could you relate that exactly to where this was, and right. how was that enforced, and some things like that. But um, so yeah, that that's one of those things. I think it's just you know get to know it ahead of time. And what what's really fascinating right now is it's so it's evolving. It, it is. It, it's evolving, and typically what happens, or at least what I've seen, is legislation and rules and stuff evolve after the technology evolves. So it's always this catch up game because the technology is ahead of mm -hmm. of regulation. Um, but in, so we've talked about drones, basically how do, how do drones work? I mean, how do they even fly, stay balanced? Um, how, how does, how do they not get interfered with power line electricity and how do drones work? Just kind of the overview for us. Right. Well, um, I mean, the basic construction of what, what we would consider today to be a drone has, has really rapidly evolved, even just within the last 10 years or so. But Probably the biggest um, uh, technology that, that allowed us to go forward was the use of really sensitive sensors, like an accelerometer or a gyroscope. And these are built on a very small level inside the aircraft, and that's basically what it's using to, to feel whether or not it's rolling or pitching or the forces on, on the craft. And so they're able to use those sensors to um, work with software that controls each one of the motors okay. and controls them respectively to achieve a stable flight. And not only are you able to achieve a stable flight, but you're allowed, allowed to basically move it in the direction you want to go in conjunction gotcha. with those sensors. And those sensors are always working and comparing that data to keep it flying. So the basic uh, configuration of a multi-rotor aircraft flying really relies on, on that those those parts working correctly. And that is what we consider to be, uh, we, call, we call it an IMU, which is an internal measurement unit. And that's basically what is really flying the aircraft. But... On top of that, we have all these other subsystems that allow it to fly, and a lot of the newer ones are using GPS. They're using GPS as a position hold okay. or to provide certain flight functions, uh, like smart functions of the drone. Um, we're seeing collision avoidance uh, components being put into new drones. So we have all this right. new technology that's coming in that's allowing them to be used uh, uh, e even more so than they were in the past. And even when we talk about the way we're controlling it, in the past, we had a remote control, just like we've had for many years, controlling model airplanes and so yeah, on. Yeah. But now we can control them with our smartphones, and even such as the one I have behind me here, this the small one, which is a DJI Spark. This is a newly released model. This one you can actually control with hand gestures, and it actually recognizes you as a person. So we're really moving forward in, in not only how they fly and how they operate, but how they're... They're functioning. And one of the great advances as well was just the battery technology alone. The, the batteries that fly these are very similar to what's in your cell phone. It's a lithium-based battery. They pack a lot of power into a very small package. Okay. Uh, the motors are brushless, which is a type of motor that's very efficient. So we found a way to get this, this power literally into a small package that works and works for a long period of time. And that's kind of the basic wow. construction that, that, that these all... Uh, share in common, but there, there are so many different types of, of aircraft out there that it's just the possibilities are endless right now. So, and I have a small one in my hand right now, and and so it has rotors, and, that, and that's pretty typical of a of a drone to have, to have rotors. Yeah, I mean the the propellers driving the the force upwards is common. I mean, there's really not a whole lot of other options, so to speak, to to provide a, a thrust okay. in, in a format like this. And drones. Um, can be equipped with cameras, with infrared cameras. Um, what else could a drone, you know, 
be equipped with, I guess, and what, what would make sense? Right, well, as far as the way the drones have developed, too, I mean, the, the, the addition of a camera has really sparked the growth of that, and it's because our camera technology is good, and, and people want to be able to position a camera in the air, and that's another reason why they're as popular as they are now, but that's not the only thing we can do with them. Um, we can have not only a camera that, that works on the visible spectrum, but we can also put on, like, a thermal camera that's using... Um, you know, the infrared spectrum to, to see heat signatures. And we can use that when we're uh, fighting fires or locating lost people. Uh, we can also use drones as not only uh, using a camera, but perhaps using it to, to carry something or to deliver something. Um, you can have uh, maybe a good scenario might be somebody who was repelling on a rock wall, you know, rock climbing. Maybe they got stuck and you can't communicate with them. Right. They're, they're thirsty, right. but they're stuck. And we don't know how to get them down yet, but perhaps we could send in a drone, deliver them a bottle of water, a cell phone for communication. <laughs> That's you know, incredible. So we have these, these other uses for, for drones that we don't realize. And even with a camera, it's not all just taking a picture and looking at some cool video. We have the ability now to you know use different lenses for agriculture so we can actually judge how crops are growing and, right. and, and the health state of them. Um, we can use the, the camera with sophisticated software to develop uh, 2D and 3D maps. We can even measure the volume of certain things in 3D space. So if you look like at, at a mine, for example, where they're taking gravel in and out or some kind of product in and out of the mine, we can use a drone to fly once over and then fly it again at the end of the day. We can measure that volume difference, and it's pulling all that data from basically the images that it's pulling in combined with the other data available, like the GPS and the location yeah. um, software within it. So it's it's pretty amazing the uses that we have, even just right now, and, and going into the future, that's only going to get more uh, in-depth as we go on. Oh, my goodness. Wow. So so the question, you know, how, how safe how safe is a, is a drone? I mean, how safe really is a drone that something wouldn't interfere with your communication with it, it and then it would crash? Um, or does it then, if it, communication is interrupted with it, it has its its own process where then it identifies that and it, it just lands? Or, or I guess you know, um, I I don't hear of drone collisions. I mean, I I don't hear about it on the news or things, so I assume they're pretty safe. But what do you think? Yeah, well, the the technology has made it so that they are pretty safe, and there's a lot of uh, things built into them now that that make it so. Um, but just like anything that we use on a daily basis, like even if you talk about a car or you know a weapon like a gun or something, it's really the, the safety of it also depends a lot on the person using it. So if you're using a product that you're not familiar with, there's a chance that you're going to run into an issue. So you know being familiar with the product is probably the first step. But um, for instance, the, the safety aspect of this, we have drones that you know the, the vast majority of the the, the popular consumer ones out there right now, a lot of times are using GPS location. And a GPS, for example, when you when you take your hands off the sticks or you just don't know what to do, it'll stop and hover in that point in space. Okay. So it's not dragging away by the wind. Um, you know, it's staying on its course if you're holding a step forward. So we have this assistance that allows us to actually operate the aircraft better. And built into that assistance, we have things like the, the collision avoidance, so say if we're flying and there's a tree coming up or a building that we didn't see, it has the ability to detect that and either go around it or stop or notify us in some way. Um, so yeah, these technologies are, technologies are making it much easier for us to, to actually pilot them safely. Um, really, the, the biggest issue I see with, with the safety of these is either using them in an improper way or when one of these systems that we rely on so heavily fails. And it does happen. Okay. So if a system fails, how do we then control that aircraft and bring it back safely without hurting anybody? Right. <laughs> and every model out there, there's different ways that that can be done. Um, one of the things I'm really excited about coming up in the future, and it actually does exist right now in a certain model line that we can purchase now, and that is the incorporation of ADS-B. ADS-B is something that any pilot right now is going to know what I'm talking about. But basically what it's doing is it's a system that allows a certain aircraft to see another aircraft in its location in space. Gotcha. So they're using basically a combination of GPS data, and that's being emitted out onto its system that other aircraft can pick up on. So when, as they're beginning to incorporate these into drones now, we have now a drone that can fly and actually detect the presence of another aircraft, whether or not it can even see it. So it can calculate, for example, if you're on what it deems as a collision course, or perhaps it may be within that proximity, it can account for that. So as we move into the future, that is going to be, I, I think, a huge step. 
in drone safety and making sure that we are all operating together safely because you know every day that goes on there are more and more being sold and more take to the air yeah. and eventually it's it, there's going to be a lot up there and we have to have this way of controlling them um and even in the future too I, w- I would suspect that they will probably work on some kind of network where they they can talk to each other even if they don't have an adsb system built into them they have some kind of network that says i'm here and you're there right. and so we'll have right. this, this total avoidance built in beyond the physical collision avoidance so they are definitely pretty reliable and even the the battery technology and the way we are driving and flying aircraft is inherently uh, quite safe provided it's used correctly and this reminds me of you know we've seen the commercials now with vehicles coming out just cars where it's got collision avoidance you know if someone mm-hmm. slows down in front of you it can detect that you know maybe before you do and start to slow the vehicle down or if you're merging into the left lane and somebody's there it's like beep 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 you know yep. look over um so the vehicle technology seems like you know that that's um the early stages of where drones might have been a couple of years ago and drones are ahead of that but um you know we, we might think oh this all of this with drones but yeah it's actually you know we see this in vehicles and other things other things too right. um so you know, one of the questions I I have wanted to ask is, you, you talked about a prison, you talked about restricted airspace. Um, what happens if you, you fly a drone? Is there some kind of system that these places have, like like a prison or maybe um, around hospitals or, or whatever, that a drone it's out of the ground. It, it can't penetrate, you know, like this electronic wall? I mean, we see it with... With ERs, where they'll say there's an electronic barrier and they have a dog and it can only go so far yeah. and then that's it. But do they have it for drones where you, you can't fly over uh, a prison and drop in a bag of Doritos? And, <laughs> right. You know, a sack of beef jerky or something like uh, that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, in fact, it's already being used widely right now. Okay. Um, now, not everything uses this. A, a smaller toy that you could get at like Walmart for 50 bucks is probably not going to have this sort of technology built into it. But certainly on the higher end models, it's being used all the time. And what, what it's called basically is geofencing. So we think about like an, an invisible fence because the aircraft has the technologies on board that it knows where it's at in this point on Earth. We also have that ability to build in that geofencing software. And so basically what the software has built into it is very similar to what you know the aviation world would know as far as the restricted zones and airports and so on, and that's built into it. And so what we can actually do is fly one of these these drones, and if we are approaching uh, a geofence location, it can actually stop and halt that that aircraft from going any further. Right, and, and it's, it's it's a great thing because again, not everybody, especially like the hobbyists, may not know that they're flying into a bad situation. So. This idea of geofencing and using that to actually prevent an aircraft from from operating in a particularly bad airspace, it exists, and it is there, and we are using it. And it's something that I think in the future we will be using a lot more of. So can the drone penetrate the geofence? Can it be modified, or is a geofence uh, superior to the drone, like, you know, that the it's this barrier that there's there's no way that drone is going to get by it. Well, right now, with the technology we have and what we are allowed to override, um, it, it is possible. And there's a couple of reasons why it's possible. There are some softwares that will allow you to go beyond that. Or even in the case of one where um, it, it's stopping you, you may have the right to, say, check off a box that says, I understand I'm flying in this airspace, but I also understand that I am a commercial pilot and I have the right to be in this airspace. So some of these softwares allow you to bypass it by means of responsibility. Um, As far as a mechanical way to bypass it, I mean, if there's no GPS signal, for example, it may not know where it's at. So, I mean, like, literally, if you were able to disable the aircraft in some way, it, it does have the potential to breach that right now. But I think as we go in the future, especially if the networks become a thing that we'll be using, that there might there may become a point where it's difficult or impossible to breach it using the kind of technology that is available to us. But right now, it's pretty good, but it's not 100% going to stop. You still have to be a responsible pilot and know what you are doing. Okay. How about the weather? You know, so I take it up, and it's a cloudy day, or it's a stormy day, it's a windy day... What impact does that have on my drone? Yeah, well, uh, most of them available right now are not 
terribly weatherproof. Okay. Um, they have come out with a few, a few models specifically targeted more so towards the commercial market that do have a, a certain amount of rain resistance or weather resistance. Um, the majority of them can fly in conditions that would make us certainly uncomfortable, whether it be cold or heat. Um, but that is something that's improving as we go on because they are encountering situations where they, they need that flexibility. Okay, I'm thinking of that scene where the clock tower gets struck by lightning and Back to the Future and you know, someone might be out there with their drone out and the <laughs> drone comes down to the ground and pieces and it's like, oh! Yeah. <laughs> or Ben Franklin, you know, if he had a drone, that's probably what he'd be doing, flying out in a thunderstorm or something. Yeah, I mean, and, and as always too, I mean, the, the military has a, a good influence on what we're doing. They, they need products that can, that can work in these sorts of environments. So as they are developing stuff and figuring out solutions to this, that sort of boils down to us in the consumer market as well. We figure out that, you know, we, we can use it that way. And like your cell phone, you know, most of the cell phones that are being produced today, typically they'll claim, yeah, you can, you can drop it in some water or you can brush it off, but you'll be okay. And, and so it's that same idea moving into, into these as well. You, most people want some degree of resistance there, and they are working hard on, on making that a real thing. Okay. Uh, so uses, you know, for drones. Um, you were sharing, okay, let's say that I'm a hobbyist. I, I purchase a drone, um, and I'm, I have a camera. Um, I'm taking some, some aerial pictures of my neighborhood. Some really cool stuff. And I, I go to my my neighbor and I, I want to sell a picture I've taken of you know like our neighborhood, and neighbor says, yeah, that'd be that'd be cool. Is that something I can do or is it something I can't do? Well, you if you were a hobbyist, you cannot do that. Okay. And and the reason that is is because if you want to charge somebody for something, even if it's just a quarter, okay, you you are making a profit off of the use of that aircraft, and that is what qualifies you as being a commercial operator. Okay, so and even even if you did something for free, like let's say an example would be um, we have a realtor in town who maybe I'm friends with, and I say, hey, I want to I want to donate this video to you. You can use it to sell that house. That's going to really help you. But now they are using that media right. for a commercial purpose. And, and, and really the, the reason they want to control this is because they understand that as a commercial operator, you are going to be flying a lot more often in, in many locations, you are basically a greater threat to the airspace if you don't understand it. And that's why they want people to, to be able to, to be commercially certified or licensed to, to charge for something. So if you charge for anything, I mean, you, you are essentially essentially breaking the law because you are not following the rules correctly. Gotcha. So that's kind of how it works with that. Because I, I, I could see um, someone saying, yeah, like I have a photography business and yeah, I, I cover weddings and outdoor weddings. Boy, it'd be great to get a drone, a few drone images. But the moment they do that, now they become commercial mm -hmm. operators because that's part of their business. And they're actually, if they don't have a commercial license, what you're saying is they're, they're violating the rules. Yeah, in and, that. and there are some pretty hefty fines if, if you do uh, actually get caught doing that. Now, again, this kind of comes back to the fact that the FAA is not doing a terribly good job at regulating this, but okay. they do state that the fines are quite high, and I want to say that if you are the person who hires an unlicensed operator, your fine, I think, is around 11000 Oh, and my it's goodness. Steep, and, and the operator is fined wow. around $1,100. So wow. it's, it's pretty significant, so it does pay to know, and, and you don't want to assume because... You don't really know who is going to view that media. You know, well, right. Works. Once it's there, someone, you can't argue it. Someone's like, well, here's the mm -hmm. video, and it's obviously, I mean, yeah, so, wow. Yeah, so, for example, you may be um, somebody who's friends with a newscaster, and you're, you're, you're working with them all the time. Yeah, I'm just, I'm helping out this news station. I'm giving them all this kind of, of neat aerial media to, to work with and display, but they're blasting that all across the news, and, you know, there's the guy waking up in the morning before he's heading into the, the FAA office, right. and he's going... <laughs> Where, is this guy licensed? I'm not really sure. We may need to look into that. God, and that really there's a problem it. that could get you uh, into wow. trouble. And again, this all stems because of the, the safety factor. You're operating in commercial airspace that people are in. And, and it's this regulation they're trying to control so that they can yeah. um, regulate it. And I know some people that, that buy these products, they, they feel that that's an invasion to them. Well, I paid for it. I should be able to fly my my drone however I want. Why, why can you tell me I can't? Right. But we have to understand the greater picture is that they're not really trying to, to, to tell you you can't use it. They just want to make sure you're, you are using it responsibly. And that's really where all that, okay. that starts from. 
My strategy is to take my, my Canon, my regular camera, set the timer to 10. When it gets to 5, I throw it up as high as it'll go. <laughs> and then uh, usually once in a while, it'll get the perfect picture. Right. I guess I'm, I'm probably still violating FAA airspace by doing that. So I'll have to rethink that. Yeah, don't let a balloon go. No. I might find you. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. And if I, you know... I'm not as, as as great as catching it anymore, so yeah. yeah. And, and there is an exception to this rule as well. If it weighs below a certain amount of weight, there is an exception. So if you're throwing a model or, or throwing a paper airplane in your backyard, that is not falling into this category. So there there are certain requirements that you have to fall in to meet this 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 category of flying something that should be you know regulated. But um, it's. I want to say it's like under a half a pound up to like 55 pounds. It's a pretty big range that you're working in. Okay. So pretty much most consumer things, even a toy, tends to fall into this category more often than not. And you pointed something out to me just about everyday television or even movies. Um, we don't realize it, but you know, movies that were filmed 20 years ago, 50 years ago, you know, def definitely had stationary, you know, cameras, or they would move them. But but now a lot of movies incorporate shots from drones. Mm -hmm. So the movie experience has become so much more in-depth and, and rich, and we just don't realize that. But um, I was fascinated because I never thought about that, the difference in, you know, the filming of, let's say, a Smokey and the Bandit back in the 70s, you know, with the Burt Reynolds jumping in the car versus, like, actually, like, having a drone that fly above and, and watch that yeah. and some things of how, how the different images might be. But, um, you know, tell me a little bit more about how drones are being used, like, in, in television. Uh, you mentioned commercials, for example, like, if you had a friend who's a realtor, and that seems like a perfect use for me. Like, if I'm a, yeah. if I'm a realtor, it makes sense for me to get a commercial license or to have the realty have a professional you know, to have someone that has a commercial license and then that would be their job to fly over a property because I guess if I'm looking, I then I can see the roof of a property, I can see where the boundary lines are, I can see other features that it'd be really hard to otherwise get these angles unless you had a super long selfie stick. But yeah, um, but yeah, or are there any movies you're aware of that have, have used some really cool drone footage? Well, I, I know I was actually just reading an article recently. It was one on one of the... The latest Fast and the Furious movies, actually. Yes. <laughs> and it was a particular scene towards the end where they were all racing these vehicles down. I forget even what it was, an airport stretch or a road or whatever it was, but it was this neat action scene. And in that particular shot, they had incorporated a drone for some of the smaller, you know, lower elevation or lower altitude uh, shots that they were chasing those vehicles along. I believe they also used a helicopter in this particular shot as well, but the what they're able to do is, is to pick and choose how they want to place these cameras. Okay. And in that, in that instance, that, that drone was able to, to capture that shot in a way that nothing else really could easily. And uh, it's amazing how much now that, that, that we watch is incorporated with these shots, and we don't even know it. Yeah. I actually remember one of the first times that it, 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 it clicked in my head, and I realized that that how did they do that? That had to have been like. How did they do that shot? Right. And it was just a. It was a simple commercial for. I think it was like a hotel out in the Caribbean. Just you know, you see the, the the beaches and the docks, and the shot was them going along the dock, and then it just went off into the water. And I'm like thinking, wait a minute, how how did they do that? And it, I didn't even. I didn't understand at that point in time how that shot was possible, but that is why they were using a drone. And really, what we have to think about is that when we have a camera attached to it, that we don't always have to take a shot very high up in the air. Basically, we simply have the ability to place a camera in 3D space and, and, and operate it accordingly. So that opens up, uh, you know, a lot of possibilities. And I see it all the time on the home shows when they're showing a before and after of a home renovation. They're doing the right. shots that sweep up and down, or they're just doing some, some B-roll type of shots where they're showing the, the trees waving and the flowers and stuff like that. And they're using a drone maybe even just 10 or 20 feet off the ground to get uh, an idea of where you're at. And... You know, in comparison to how you would shoot that shot, otherwise you would need like a, a boom truck or, like you said, a, a long stick in a camera. Yeah. And quite literally, that's you know um, how difficult it would be. And one of the things that, that helps a lot with these shots looking so professional is that 
nowadays all most of these high-end cameras are being stabilized by, by means of a mechanical okay. gimbal powered by electric motors. So we, we can fly these complex shots, and the aircraft is working very hard to do this, but we have a, a really fluid, smooth shot that is coming out of that. And that, that, again, is really what has brought this type of technology to something that we use every day and count on. And, and what was once considered really a novelty is now being used all the time. And what a lot of us don't realize is even 10 or maybe even 20 years ago, we were using cameras on even multi-rotor type of aircraft, but they were quite a bit more primitive than what we know today. And the people that operated them back then were, were really specialized. I mean, you were, yeah. you were there being hired for the highest-end movies, you know, really top-end commercials, where nowadays someone with, you know, just even a couple thousand dollars can, can make the initial attempt to start to be a competitor with those sorts of people. You know, we have that ability now. And that's brought that popularity out. I remember growing up, and and a lot of my classmates grew up on farms. And this was, you know, back like in the late seventies or early eighties. But it was a really big thing. There would be a, a pilot that would come in and would offer, would come to your farm and say, "I'll take an aerial shot of your farm, and for this amount of money." And you know, they often the farmers would do that. And, right. and you you go into the house, and it would be prominently displayed up on yeah. the wall. You know, in this. <laughs> This large thing of here's the property, and just thinking today that can also happen, but it can happen at a much more feasible uh, yeah. rate versus you know it was one of these rare things where the you know the pilot might come to town or come to this area once every five years mm -hmm. and offer this service, and it had to be like on this day and and wow. So so tell me more about like specifically what you do with your business, some of your clients, um, sure. some of uh, the interesting work that you. Do that you're getting into. Tell me about that. Right. Well, um, basically, my, my business can be separated down into four categories as of right now. And I say this now because the future is, is anybody's guess. Yes. But um, basically, I, the aerial media, which for me is taking photographs or the stabilized video, that is the first sector of my business, um, followed by the drone repairs, where I'm actually bringing in drones that need work, repairing them, and returning them. Um, the third is that I also process the media. I, I make uh, media productions or I edit the photos so that I'm not only capturing the media, but I'm delivering a quality product in the end. And I've also recently started with drone training because I want to wow. offer this. I've had people asking me that they need to, to know how uh, to fly a drone. They want, they want to know more about it so they don't have an issue. And, and of course, my, my standing joke is that either way I'll have a customer. I'll have a repair <laughs> customer or I'll have a drone training customer. One way or another, I'm probably going to get them as a customer in time. And so that's kind of what my business is based on. And really, it initially, it started with the aerial media. That was what got me interested in it. I knew this was something that I wanted to do. I remember when I had purchased the drone, I was thinking in my head, okay, there's probably going to be some thing that I need to do before I'm able to go out and charge money for this. I just didn't know at that point in time just how complex it would be to get up to this point. Um, but, yeah, some of my clients that I'll get are people that are simply asking for a particular photograph. Obviously, an aerial photograph is going to right. be the most common. But, again, we don't always have to have that camera really high up. Um, I've made media productions for businesses around the area, um, you know, make, making essentially promotional videos for them. Or uh, I've even just had families contact me for, for certain small projects like that. And the reason I got into the drone repair also was because for, you know, about 10 years prior to this, and even still now, I work on cars. I work on cars a lot. That's really after high school. I went out, I went to college, technical yeah. college to work on, work on vehicles, and I've been doing that for a long time. So I've always known how to diagnose and work on things. Not to say that a drone is the same, but um, it, it became a natural thing to me that I realized, okay, if I can do this, why am I not doing it? And there's a, there's a funny story that goes along with this, too, because when I was younger, um, back in the day before we had all these new electronic things, I say back in the day, I'm only 29 years old, but um, I had a small uh, car that had these little lights that lit up inside it. Right. And I remember I was always destructive when I was a kid, like most boys are, and I, I ran the car into something in the house. I'm sure my mom was mad, but it broke open and I saw all the electronics inside it. And I'm like, oh, that's cool. Like, what are all those things? So that started... <laughs> For the next few years, I began to slowly disassemble most things located yeah. inside our house. <laughs> and I ended up owing my parents quite a bit of money. Ah. But I learned a lot, and I was, yeah. I was curious about it. And, and so between that and the automotive portion of my life, that really 
brought me to a level where I'm, re I'm re repairing drones now and I enjoy what I'm doing and I'm providing a service that is needed. Um, there's a lot of people that, that are crashing or damaging their drones and without going to the manufacturer, we are the only step in between. Right. And, and other than a generic electronics repair shop, which could probably handle it as well, but they are becoming so specialized that a person like myself really needs to be able to, to do that. And, uh, and so again, with the drone training, I came out with that because people were asking me, they want to know what I know. How do I know what I know? And, and they don't want to be crashing their drones anymore. They need this training. So, um, you know, I began to offer that to, to supplement that. And then the media production just really went hand in hand with the aerial uh, media that I was taking in. I had to have some way to process that and go with it and streamline that. Thank you for tuning in to the Safety Doc Podcast with the nation's leading safety expert, Dr. David Perodin, author, radio show host, university instructor, researcher, expert witness, and consultant. Powerful testimonials. Dr. Perodin has a strong reputation as the go-to safety consultant, and he was still able to exceed our expectations. When we went looking for an expert in the field of crisis preparedness and prevention, David was the single person we pursued. Not easy stepping into the touchier subjects of life, but Dr. David pulls it off. Take a listen. Now, back to Dr. David Perodin and the Safety Doc Podcast. down the highway I see the tall uh, windmills and I believe you mentioned that uh, a drone could be used to examine the integrity you know of a, of a windmill mm -hmm. that might be like a purpose yeah so, exactly um, inspecting any time any type of infrastructure whether it be bridges or oh, that's perfect uh, yeah. buildings roofs um, and the wind turbines because right. the alternative is either especially in the case of a wind turbine we're either sending somebody in on a helicopter which costs a lot of money a lot of fuel there's you know that that work involved in that just to get them there to look at it or we have to physically send them up which is a task in itself so you know, if all we need to do is inspect it for basic damage to see if something's leaking or, you know, maybe right. it got hit by lightning, is there any damage above there? It's so much faster to send in a drone to take a look at it and get, at least get an initial assessment of it. And typically following the assessment is when we will send in the actual manned crew. So we're, we're essentially saving that money by, by hiring or using these aircraft to, to provide yeah. a task that otherwise is difficult um, so that we don't waste man hours and time uh, and money doing so. And bridges is, is a perfect example because uh, not only yeah with the hours, the man hours, but the danger of, of just going up and, and having to examine a bridge. Yeah. So if that first step is done uh, through a drone and then you can identify areas to come in with a crew mm -hmm. and, and look at that. Um, I, I always get a kick out of um, one of our water towers here in town when I run at night about maybe 15 feet up, there's a ladder, and then you can see it's, it's, it's got this ring around it, I suppose, in case you would slip, that you would put your arms out and not fall away <laughs> down. But I'm thinking, that's, that's a horrible job. Whoever has to do that, like, has to climb to the top of the water tower to do whatever yeah. an inspection. Um, but yet, you know, if they had, if they were able to do whatever they needed to do, partially at least with a drone or, or with, you know, eventually some remote sensors or cameras, I bet uh, that person wouldn't be very sad in, in coming into work one day and hearing, you know, uh, yeah, Terry, uh, you're no longer uh, going to have to do this one yeah, once sorry. a month. So, you know, <laughs> we're going to put the ladder up for sale that you had to climb to get up. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, okay, I, I can I can deal with that. So um, it, it, you mentioned a great opportunity, I think, for developing like even a three-credit um, course through – uh, a college on how to operate a drone, simple drone maintenance. I, I would think that would fill up. Uh, I teach university courses, and just in knowing how that process works and how things get proposed, I I would imagine there would be a, a huge demand for that. Yeah, I would be willing to bet it probably exists already on, on certain levels. I know there are people that travel and provide local courses, um, but even yeah, at the college level, there, there may be 
um, careers in the future that revolve completely around this because as we come out with this sort of technology, we're, we're, we're going to need that type of person who can fill that void. And, and consequently, we're going to need the, the training that, that they require. So um, I would definitely think that's, that's coming or is already in, in pretty good existence in certain areas. So we've talked a lot now about, um, you know, positive aspects of drones. And I'm, I'm going to kind of move us back into where drones uh, have the uh, kind of a bad name associated. Yeah. And is it, is it accurate that ISIS has used drones? Unfortunately, they have. Um, it was quite recently that this started to pop up. They were using literally consumer type of drones like the one I have behind me. Okay. And they were using them to basically drop IEDs from the air. Wow. And unfortunately, they, the tool that it was provided to them is, is very precise. I mean, you you are not present at that scene, and you, you have the ability to locate and drop something with incredible precision. So that was something that was beginning to happen, and this is kind of one of those things where the technology has gone faster than we've realized the consequences. And recently, a result of that was one of the manufacturers which produced the aircraft behind me here, which is DJI, they actually released a new software update that um, basically eliminated uh, taking off in these particular zones that are, are known to be you know, warfare, terrorist type of zones to prevent that from happening. Um, but even so, you know, there's only so much pre prevention that can be done because anybody can, can build their own units. So it's one of those things that not only are we going to have to tackle this problem from a software level, we're going to have to have countermeasures that can actually physically prevent this from happening, whether it be a drone that's built to take down another drone or whatever it be. Um, I even know there was, a, I want to say it's a country in, some country in Europe somewhere, but they even had at one point been training eagles to swoop down and catch drones that were potentially a danger. And they're training these birds to be the countermeasure to drones that weren't playing along. So it's, wow. it's really interesting to see how we've evolved to now catch up to the problem we have created. But, um, you know, it's important to think that, that, you know, we do have things that are happening that are potentially bad, um, but there's the, the really the good outweighs the bad. And, and we will find a way to deal with, with the bad things that come with it. But I do feel that there is kind of a black cloud surrounding these drones, specifically for the people that just don't know enough about them. You know, a person like myself, I don't really see them that way, but I work around them every day. But there may be some guy who the only experience he's had with a drone is somebody was buzzing over his house and being a nuisance, or then he looks on the news and sees that they're being dropped by ISIS, you know, to cause issues. So right, right. they have these sorts of things that are being incorporated in, and, and they're seeing only that. And the media has been very good at showing the bad signs of drones and not been too good about showing the, the good sides. The, the good sides were, you know, a drone can locate a missing person in minutes versus hours or whatever it be. So um, I think it will improve in time as people understand the technology. You know, I'm sure there was a time yeah. even when, when cell phones came out or the Internet came out where we thought, we don't need that. What's the point of that? And, you know, the Internet's scary. They're going to be able to do things from a remote location, and who knows what that could open up. And now we look at it as, well, it's just a normal thing. It's part of our life. Right. And that's kind of how drones are. They're, they're, they're working their way into um, to a good thing that we all can appreciate. Hi, everyone. This is David. And what an awesome episode with Preston Rice from Madison Area Drone Service. You know, I always had a lot of questions about drones. I, I just didn't know. You'd see them flying around or on TV, and Preston just shared so much information. I, I hope this show was absolutely enlightening for you. I loved it. I went online. I researched more about drones, drones that are being used now, like lifeguards are using drones to fly out and deliver, um, like, life buoys to someone that might be drowning, uh, just the the incredible usage of drones and where everything is going with with drones i'm amazed i had no idea you know preston said you think that the space around your property um you're like you have this cubic you know mile of air space or whatever but uh it's so funny no because like it's right above your lawn the faa controls and i'm thinking i mow my lawn pretty short preston so like the faa has control about three inches above the surface you know of, of my soil so um but really fascinating stuff. He did a lot of research coming into this. Um, wow. Just, again, a lot of great information. This was part one of two, capabilities and fundamentals, really helping you to get to understand a drone, take away the fear of a drone. Um, Preston wanted to demystify what is a drone. Uh, this is available on YouTube, so you can go in and watch and see the different drones that he demonstrated. I strongly recommend that. Um, I am going to do some 
voice overlays in the next podcast coming up, which will be 42, which is the second part of this. We actually went out after the interview and he did demonstrations where he would fly out like a mile for like a search and rescue simulation. Just amazing. And then we would, we would narrate that as we were recording this on the, the camera on the ground. We also had some footage from the, the drone itself, which did show in this video. So if you're listening to this, there is some overlay of drone video in the background. So you might want to go into YouTube and just check it out because it, it does come in. You get to see both Preston and myself. So again, thank you so much to John Grant and the 405 Media for airing this show. Thank you for following the Safety Doc. And you can subscribe or follow the Safety Doc on Twitter at SafetyPhD. Check out SafetyPhD.com for my new updated website. We're going with the WordPress uh, models. So, yeah, SafetyPhD.com. Thank you again for following the Safety Doc. And I look forward to you being back for part two with Preston Rice.